There's a killer on the road His brain is squirming like a toad Take a long holiday And let your children play If you give this man a ride Sweet family will die Killer on the road From time to time, during the How Did We Miss That podcast, we may talk about details of crimes that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is highly advised. Welcome back to another episode of How Did We Miss That? I'm Christine. And I'm John. Yeah, we did things a little different this week. Bear with us. Yeah, a little change in the order. A little change in the order. Mm-hmm. Well, those haunting lyrics have been played thousands of times, but has anyone ever stopped to think about what they mean or what may have inspired frontman Jim Morrison to write them? Jim wants us to keep our family close, but what killer is on the road? I'm going to tell you the story of highway murderer Billy Cook. Well, mine doesn't tie in nearly as nicely, but I'm going to talk about a new terror threat that is afoot. And it turns out it's not really that new. No, I'm not talking about suicide bombs or vehicle rammings or blowing up buildings. I'm talking about cyber attacks. And it's the next big threat to our society. It's getting scary. Okay, well, let's get started. So my sources for this story are Murderpedia. So I I went one step further from Wikipedia. You're cheating on Wikipedia and you've just gone full Murderpedia. Straight to Murderpedia. The last couple episodes. No no wiki for you, but lots of wiki for me. Yes, right. I like it. Wiki, wiki, wah. Just kidding. (laughs) Sorry. Um, There's also an article from swordandscale.com and then another article from life.com. What is that sword and scale? Something to do with justice? I don't know. It's a really cool website. I've... Encountered it a couple times in my research. I'm this time I actually used quite a lot of it. It sounds familiar, but maybe I'm thinking of something else. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like I've heard that before. Anyway, carry mm, on. That's good. All right. All right. So William Billy Edward Cook was born in 1929 near Joplin, Missouri. And from the get-go, it seems like he was just destined for a disastrous life. He's got a lot of names, so he's he, got to be. Well, he was Billy. He was also called Cockeyed Cook, which we'll talk about in a minute. But <laughs> okay, yeah. So he's he's Billy, but his name's William Edward Cook. Well, there was another one in there too. I thought, or you just no. said William Billy. Billy. Okay, never mind. I'm like this serial killer. I'm assuming he's a killer. Has four names. Oh, extra he's, bad. He's extra. I got it now. All right. Well, he was the fifth of eight children. His father was a minor, but also a terrible alcoholic, and he could also be very abusive to the children and their mother. I wasn't able to find out what the cause was in any of my research or my sources, but Billy's mother died when he was just five years old, and his father moved the family into an abandoned mine shaft. Like one does. Yeah, I mean, because that makes sense, right? Safety, security, nice and cool. Right. He gave them as much food as he could, and then he basically left them to just, like, fend for themselves. So can you imagine just leaving eight children in a mine shaft with, like, as much food as you can get and then gone? I feel like if I had eight kids, that's what I'd do. Right. Well, and remember, he Billy was the fifth, and he's only five, so that means oh. three more are younger than him. <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. God, these people never kept it in their uh, pants. Right. Jesus. Okay, well, authorities actually found the children, thank God, and welfare workers placed Cook's siblings in foster homes. But little Billy was repeatedly rejected and ended up bouncing from home to home. You see, Billy was born with a congenital deformity. He had a lump over his right eye, which made it impossible for him to close it all the way. Sounds like Quasimodo. A little bit. Right. So now do we understand cockeyed cook? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
So, <laughs> although he eventually had surgery to remove that lump, yeah, his right eyelid still kind of like sagged a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it had like this really sinister kind of look that like just really turned off all the foster parents. Yeah, I bet. They were like, ooh, yeah. kind of creepy, right? Snaggle eye. So Cook was finally able to find placement, but only when the court agreed to pay his room and board. As you can guess, his appointed foster mother was more interested in earning money from the state than actually trying to like raise him the right way. So it was like, you can't pay me to take this ugly kid. Right? Well, apparently well, they, they could. Yeah. This was just like not a good place for a kid. Yeah, Let me I just can imagine. Tell you right now. Yeah. Two years in a row, Billy was actually given a bicycle for Christmas, which sounds like a really awesome present. Yeah. But they were immediately taken away because his foster mother didn't pay the bill. So they came like repossess the bikes. <laughs> That's mean. Right? Wow. Like, here, have this wonderful present. But yeah, then we're just gonna, kidding. Uh, yeah. We're going to take it from you. So as he became a teenager, Billy decided that he would try his hand at petty thievery because, you know, why, why not? Why not? Yeah. But he was arrested pretty quickly. And he told the police that he would rather be in a reform school than be sent back to his foster home. After his release a few months later from the police custody, he immediately robbed a cab driver. And what do you know? He was transferred to a reformatory where he would spend five years. Hmm. When he turned 18, he, he had been having like violent outbursts at the reformatory. So they transferred him to a state prison at that point once he became 18. And he earned himself a really nice reputation of being a fight starter. (laughs) You know, those people who like to pick fights with others all the time. Right? Yeah. Fight starter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fight starter. That's the completely scientific term. Sounds self-explanatory. Yeah. Personal expertise. Most people would call it an instigator, maybe. Sure. I I don't know. Whatever. Just saying. I like fight starter. Okay. I do too. It's good. I'm not throwing any shade your way. Well, once he actually almost killed a fellow inmate with a baseball bat. Because he made fun of his droopy eyelid. (laughs) I don't mean to laugh, but... I know. That just sounded funny. He was finally released in 1950 at the age of 22. And this is where the real story begins. You ready? Buckling up? I'm ready. That wasn't the real story? That was not. That was just the beginning of our story. I was already so intrigued. Yes. Let's get the the real story going now. All right. Well, to quote the article by Sword and Scale that I told you I Mm -hmm. got in my sources. Yes. The world, according to Billy, was a place of cruelty, bitterness, hatred, anger, and despair. His mother was dead. His father had abandoned him. His siblings were scattered far and wide. Small wonder that he was a deeply misanthropic individual whose hatred for society was matched only by society's utter indifference towards him. His past was a disaster. His present wasn't any better. And he seemingly had no future either. You know, if there's ever a movie about him, it's going to be called The World of Billy. The World of The Billy? Cockeyed Cook Story. Oh, I like it. Yeah, it's good, right? All right. All right. I like that, too. Well, I mean, can you blame this poor kid, though? Like, what a start to life. Yeah. I, I'm just the um, the whole mind shaft thing is yeah, enough like to your, ruin your you. Your dad just, like, drops you off. Like, hey, yeah. fend for yourself. Yeah, see you, Bye. Bud. Check you later. Look, go live in this hole. Here's some food. Right. So, I mean, if that's how I was brought up, I don't think I would trust anybody either. I wouldn't, you know, relationships can't be built that way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, you know, my humble beginnings in a 900 square foot house in Ontario, California. Yeah, close, close, but not quite as bad. (laughs) So I can understand. I I kind of. You weren't dropped off in a mine shaft? No, I feel Billy's pain, though, just a little. Right. Well, if his eye and aggressive demeanor were not enough to scare people away, which ultimately was what he was trying to accomplish, if you think about it. He had tattooed the words hard luck on his left hand. Mm. I'm pretty sure no truer words were ever tattooed, actually. Yeah. This poor kid. Yeah. Though he briefly returned to Joplin to have a not so friendly reunion with his father. And that's for some reason all any of my sources had to say about it. They just said it was a not so friendly reunion. I don't know what that means. I don't know if he beat him up. I don't know if he just said I don't like you. I, I really don't know. But. Anyway. There's no other information? No, that's because all any of my sources said. He had a not-so-friendly reunion. Because I don't really see the point of him going back to his father. Yeah, I know. Did you see what I did there? I did see what you did there. <laughs> I don't know, maybe he was trying to help his father see eye to eye. This is mean. We're so mean. We are drooping to a whole new level. Stop it. <laughs> all right. 
Sorry, Billy. Rest in peace. Is so, he dead? Well, yeah. Okay. Sorry, so, Bill. <laughs> spoiler alert. Thanks. Sorry, cockeye. Anyway, so <laughs> after this meeting with dear old dad, yeah. he decided to, quote, live by the gun and roam. Oh, I love it. Those sort End of like quote. song lyrics right there. Right? Doesn't that seem like a cool tattoo too, though? Oh, for sure. And like a live by the gun in Rome. Bitch and country song. Not in Rome, by the way. Yeah. Not, I know. I got you. Know, you. Yeah. Rome. He's like going to be a rambling man. Yeah. So he made his way west to Blythe, California. I, I mean, that's not a great place to be headed, but cool. Where is Blythe? It, it was like on our way to Vegas, wasn't it? I'm going to look because I was just going to say that those are some it's like of the desert, like nothing shittiest little shanty towns. Yeah. Like there, every time no. we drove through there, we used to say there is nothing but criminals living here. There's right? got to be. Exactly. Well, he worked as a dishwasher for a bit until around December of 1950. He then traveled a little and made his way to El Paso, Texas, where he bought himself a 32 caliber snub nose revolver. And I figured that you might want to explain this to our listeners. And by listeners, I mean me. Yeah. First of all, Blythe is on the way to Arizona. Oh, okay. Equally as shitty. Um, Yeah, 32 is the size of the bullet. So it's relatively small. Um, Snub nose means short barrel. Okay, thank you. That's what I was wondering. The, uh, you know, the summer gun that I begged you to let me buy, (laughs) the 38 special Mm -hmm. revolver is similar to that. Very similar. Just a short little, small, easily concealable revolver gun okay and revolver are the ones with the little wheelie thingy inside yes right? the wheel very um okay. reliable because they don't jam like an automatic would they don't you'd think they would well here's why Easier. they don't they don't eject the spent shell like mm, a semi-automatic okay. they just stay in there after the projectile goes and you have to pop the wheel open and discard them yourself mm, okay so sometimes the semi-automatic with the shell will get a little twisted in there as it goes to shoot out if you're using low quality ammo or your gun's dirty and then it'll get jammed in there, which jams the function of the gun, and you got to clear the jam. It's a big mess. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Sure thing. Lots of hot gun talk here. Yeah. So he purchases this gun, and then he makes his way to Lubbock, Texas, where the real horrible part of the story begins. The part that our pal Jim was singing about. On December 30th of 1950, Lee Archer came upon Billy hitchhiking in the Lubbock area because it was completely like normal at this point. Lee decides he's going to pull over and give him a ride. I mean, hitchhiking was kind of a thing back then. It was. People yeah. just did it. Yep. Well, his generosity was not reciprocated because Billy promptly robbed him of $100 at gunpoint and shoved him in the trunk of his 1949 Chevy sedan and kept driving westward down Route 66. Hmm. Luckily, Lee was able to escape the trunk when Billy slowed down to make a turn and then he called the police. Billy had abandoned that car in Oklahoma, and police were able to find a duffel bag inside that gave them clues to his identity. How did he call the police? On his cell phone? No, I'm sure he like made it to a town. Yeah, he had to have, right? Were yeah. there a lot of towns? I guess there was on Route well, 66. It's, it's Lubbock, Texas, too. And so it's, it's the not... mother road, yeah. There's probably yeah, a town Yeah, I'm sure he was able reach. to find something quickly. Okay. Maybe he hitchhiked. I was just picturing like the, out in the middle of nowhere, but yeah, I hear you. I got The you. little tumbleweed going across the Yeah, like here road. I am, and I just escaped the trunk. What do I do now? Yeah. Well, anyway, he did. Yeah. So, again, I told you they found a duffel bag. Inside were a bunch of little things that kind of helped them identify who he was. Mm -hmm. They were able to get a description of him from the penitentiary. But at this point, Billy was kind of just a jerk that stole a car. So there really wasn't much that they did about it. Mm -hmm. But on January 3rd of 1951, Carl Moser, it's either Moser or Moser, I'm not really sure. He was age 33 and his wife, Thelma who were making a Christmas trip from their home in Atwood, Illinois, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, with their three children, Ronald Dean, who was seven, Gary Carl, who was five, and Pamela Sue, who was three. I love these classic names. Aren't these great? Thelma, Thelma, Pamela Sue. Carl. Yeah. Um, They also had their dog with them. What's his name? The family dog. They didn't say. Nobody said that. Probably something weird. Probably like like Spot or Rover. Oh, I was going to say something weird like LaChandra or something. LaChandra? I don't know. Something modern. (laughs) Okay. Kaiser. Linda. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) They came upon Billy hitchhiking and just like Archer, the Mosser family would regret their decision to help him. Hmm. At gunpoint, Billy forced them to drive around for three days. Oh, I thought you were going to say hours. That's bad enough. No. Three days. They went from central Oklahoma, Cook forced Mosser to drive to Wichita Falls, Texas, then to Carlsbad, New Mexico, back east to Houston, 
then north to Winthrop, Arkansas, and finally back to Joplin, Missouri, where he was from, as I told you. Yeah. Moss are attempting to disarm Billy, but to no avail. In Joplin, between 1.30 a.m. and 2.30 a.m. on January 2nd of 1951, he actually panicked because he saw a police car passing. Mm-hmm. So he decided to shoot each family member. Oh, okay. But this is the bad part. He shot the dog too. Part of the family. But that's not nice. It's not nice, Poor baby. but it's part of the family. I'm like more sad about the dog. I know. <laughs> Poor baby. Yeah. And the kids, they're a little baby. Well, I mean. So sad. You leave no witnesses. Leave no trace. Like <laughs> right. they say well, in this camping. Is, this is the worst part of the story, even though it's already pretty bad. He dropped their bodies down a mine shaft. Yeah. Not nice. On January 7th, police found the Mosser car in a ditch after Billy had dumped it. The 1949 blue Chevy sedan. Boy, that seems to be a popular car. Yeah. Or else it's a really strange coincidence. I'm just assuming there were so many of them. It just happens to be the car that everybody seemed to be driving, I guess. Yeah, there weren't too many companies back then. No. Yeah. There's no Toyotas roaming the streets, I don't think. Right. Not yet. No. (laughs) Well, it was filled with bloodstains and bullet holes, but it did actually help the police. On searching the vehicle, police found a receipt from an El Paso gun store for the sale of a 32 caliber snub nose revolver to one Billy Cook. Mm. Not the smartest man. No. 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 Leaving quite a lot of evidence there. So now they had a name. Checks with the gun store in the Missouri State Penitentiary soon gave them a description and a mugshot, just as an Archer's case. More than 2,000 law enforcement officers were now on the hunt for Billy, and they were actually a lot closer to him than Billy even realized. During this time, Billy had done some more hitchhiking and bus travel and returned to Blythe, where he attracted the suspicion of Deputy Michael Waldrop. Waldrop asked about Billy around town and found out that his suspicions were correct. He tracked him down to a motel, but as soon as he stepped through the door, Billy disarmed him, forced him into his own police car, and drove around trying to decide what to do. While he was driving, he bragged about murdering the Mossers before he dumped Waldrop face down in a ditch with a gun against the back of his head. Then Billy sped away in search for another victim. That seems kind of dumb, but smart at the same time. Like taking a police car? Yeah. I mean, I I would feel like it would be easy for him to say, this was my car, this was the number, this plate, whatever. But also I feel like other police people would be like, hey there, police guy, and like not stop him. (laughs) Right? Yes. What? Uh, Your impression of cops just cracks me up. (laughs) Hey there, police guy. Hey, bud. (laughs) (laughs) How did you do, neighbor? (laughs) Well. It's funny. Anyway, backing up real quick, I don't mean to derail you. Disrail, I was going to say. Or derail. Okay. Um, Bloodstains and Bullet Holes, the next name of my country album coming out in summer 2022. That's right. Yeah, go ahead. This is going to be all like Johnny Cash type stuff? Yeah, all kinds of things that I've never experienced in my life, but I'm going to sing about them. I like sing about them. All right, perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, unfortunately for Robert Dewey, he would be next, but unfortunately not very lucky. But also the final victim. Oh, so that's okay. good. Yeah. He was a salesman from Illinois. He offered Billy a ride while passing through Imperial County, California. Just like the others, Billy held him at gunpoint and forced him to drive randomly around the area. Like Carl Mosser, Dewey attempted to fight back. Being no match for Billy, he was then murdered execution style with a bullet to the back of the head. Billy then dumped Dewey's body and the car. He's uh, on a on a spree here, I think. He is. Hey, um, pop quiz. You shoot the hostage. Would you rather oh. be a serial killer's first victim or final victim? Or somewhere in the middle? I want to be the final because if I'm the final, that means I got him because of me. Okay. I, f- I thought you would say that. And I yeah. feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like the first and the last are the most famous on true crime podcasts of the future. The middle ones just kind of get lost in the story. They're not as important. Like the middle child, you know? Yeah. Middle child syndrome right there. Maybe we should start yet another podcast called The the Middle Victim, and we just focus on that one Just the middle ones. I like it. Or we could just do that on this show. Yeah, whatever. Because we missed all the middle stories, you see. I love it. Oh, 
New segment coming. Here we go. Here we go. Trademarks, it's mine. Don't steal it. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Sorry. Billy was able to travel undetected into Mexico where he befriended and then abducted two American gold prospectors. Because that's the thing. I didn't realize the prospectors went into Mexico to find the gold. Thought it was all about Northern California. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it says they're American gold prospectors, so I'm not sure why they're in Mexico. Maybe they were on holiday. Maybe. Maybe they were going to the donkey show. Taking a break from being prospectors. Yeah. Hey, you know, prospectors need a break too. They do. Need a vacation. That's where all the uh, hookers and gum are. Chicklets. All right. Yeah. Well, James Burke and Forrest Damron survived their encounter with Billy, later telling police that his right eye, the one that would never fully close, made them too scared to fight back. (laughs) They could never tell if he was awake or asleep. So instead of trying to overpower him or escape, they decided to be cooperative in the hopes that Billy would release them. After a week of traveling through Baja, California, it proved to be a successful strategy as Billy did eventually let them go, but not before forcing them to take him to Santa Rosalio. Mm. Sorry, Rosalia, excuse me. Same difference. This would prove to be Billy's biggest mistake. You mean killing these people wasn't a mistake? Well, to him, no. Gotcha. (laughs) This to him was a mistake. Yeah. Santa Rosalia's police chief... Luis Parra was a very observant and quickly recognized Billy from the FBI posters that were all over the area. Oh, good for him. Now get this. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. So far, he has killed six people and a dog and has abducted and released four grown men who were not able to overpower him, one being a police officer. But do you know how Parra was able to apprehend him? I don't. No. Ready for this? Eye drops. He just walked up to him and grabbed his pistol. (laughs) Yeah. Seems easy enough, right? Right? Yeah. He was then able to place him under arrest and take him to Tijuana, where the authorities awaited transport back to the States. Wow. He was sent first to Oklahoma for the murders of the Mosser family. Everyone expected that Billy would be sent to what the Oklahoma correctional officers affectionately called Sizzling Sally. (laughs) Not nice. Yeah. So nice. But instead of the electric chair, Billy received six consecutive 50-year sentences from the judge. I think he should have received another 100 for the dog. What is that, 300 years? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> he was then transported to California for the murder of Robert Dewey, where they were not so nice. Yeah. In the 1950s, San Quentin was notorious for having a very busy gas chamber. Mm. After the trial, the jury deliberated for 50 minutes before finding Billy guilty, and the judge immediately sentenced Billy to death with a date. Like, December a, like 12th. a lady friend? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. <laughs> like he even gave them a date that yeah. he's going to be killed, yeah. which was December 12th of 1952. That would be only 11 days before his 24th birthday. Mm. He was sent to San Quentin's notorious Condemned Row, hmm. where he was under the charge of Warden Harley Teets. <laughs> <laughs> Knew you're going to like that one. (laughs) Is that a stripper? No. Harley Teets. (laughs) Teets took no pleasure in the executions, but saw nearly 50 inmates gas during his tenure as warden. He was actually very compassionate towards the condemned inmates, but even he couldn't get through the psychological walls that Billy had built to keep everybody out. Mm. Teets himself put it, quote, he was the most completely alone young man I have ever encountered. And I feel like that's saying something if you're like a death row warden. Yeah. Like, can you imagine the people that you meet? And he's like the most alone one he's ever met. Yeah. Weird. Well, at 10 a.m. on December 12th of 1952, Billy Cook ate his last meal of fried chicken, French fries, peas, and pumpkin pie before walking in silence to the gas chamber. Did he have a full glass of Teats milk? (laughs) (laughs) It is funny. Trying to work milk and teats in there somehow. I like it. Yeah. I don't like it at okay. the same time. I'm sorry. Sorry, everyone else. All right. Well, like we always say on the show. Yeah. But wait. There's more. There's more. Yeah. So remember in the beginning of the story, I mentioned that his life was seriously just disastrous. Mm-hmm. Well, his death was not much better. In the Oklahoma town of Comanche, I guess that's the name of it. Sure. Mortician Glenn Boydston promised Billy's family that if they signed his body over to him, he would make sure to give him a respectful and proper burial. They signed it away. And after collecting Billy's body, Boydson promptly put it on public display 
for the benefit of almost 15,000 sightseers. Oh, old school. Yeah. That's what they used to do in the Old West. They'd put the coffin with the guy in it right, right. out front and like, yeah. don't mess with... Bill? Yeah. Yeah. That's a different song. Different song. <laughs> Billy's siblings were enraged and hired a lawyer to help them get their brother's body back. By torchlight on the night of December 21st, 1952, he was finally buried in an unmarked grave at the Peace Church Cemetery in Joplin, Missouri. Billy's 22-day rampage inspired several things in popular culture. For one, the song I mentioned at the beginning, mm-hmm. as well as a short film that Jim Morrison directed called Highway. Oh, really? Yes. Sounds like old Jimbo was uh, infatuated with this guy. Right. He was, I think, I mean, if you think about it, it's 1950. He wrote the song in 1970. So he was probably a young kid at this point. Yeah. Maybe a little murderino in the making here. You know? We all have that thing that, like, if we're into true crime, it's that thing that really catches our attention. Yeah. And, like, sticks with us. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that might have been this for good old Jim. Yeah. Ida Lupino directed the 1957 film The Hitchhiker, starring Edmund O'Brien, based on Cook's Crimes, which in turn inspired the Rutger Hauer movie The Hitcher. Mm. Billy was finally free from the world that he despised so much, but I can't help but think if Billy had anything close to a normal childhood, maybe he would have ended up someplace better than an unmarked grave. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So that's the story of that's your story. Billy Cockeyed Cook. I feel like you should tell everyone your inspiration for this when you heard the song the other day or it popped in your head, right? Right. So I it was it was stormy. We were in the middle of a wicked really thunderstorm. nice thunderstorm. Yeah. And uh every time I hear the word storm, I think of riders on the storm. Yeah. Like you do, right? I like it. So uh it it actually came on Pandora. It was weird because I was thinking about it and then it came on. So mm-hmm. it was weird. So I was singing along to the lyrics and I realized like where that verse is like not with the rest of the story. Yeah. It's just like a random verse put in there. So I started to think like, did this come from somewhere? Mm -hmm. So I looked it up and sure enough, um, he had done an interview, I believe with a magazine in Paris, but he did an interview explaining that he got the inspiration for that verse from Mr. Cook. Cool. So I decided I was going to do a story on it. All right. Because I missed it. (laughs) Yeah, you did. All right. Are you ready for my story? I'm ready. This one's a little different. I've been covering murders myself the last, I don't know, five episodes or so. And going to go back to my roots, if you will, and cover something a little different and a little, not conspiracy, I guess. I don't know. It's crime related. It's um, all Mm -hmm. about cyber crime, cyber attacks, and ransomware specifically do you know what ransomware is i don't i mean i know what ransom is but i don't know when you add the wear to it so there's different kinds of wares there's you know the wear of your clothes there's housewares there's malware which is computer software that is designed to do malicious things hence the mal Mm -hmm. so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this week sweet are you ready yes my sources are wikipedia and I just realized there was a few news articles that I did not write down on my notes. So Oopsies. There's a few news articles from, you know, the, oh, New York Times was one of them. Okay. And I don't remember the other one. Sorry, everyone. Just trust me that I looked it up. That you didn't personally make up all this stuff. Right. So this is a very hot topic right now that's been making its way around the news cycle lately, very recently, in fact. Um, are you ready? I just want to make sure you're sitting down to get into the very sexy and super interesting Subject of ransomware. It's sexy? Talk nerdy to me. Ooh. It's going to get real nerdy here. I like it. Cybersecurity is for nerds, right? I mean, I mean it's, yeah. for the, it's for your IT department at work. I've had, um, you hear excuses like, I have antivirus. I don't need to worry about it, right? Right. I mean, seriously, does cybersecurity even cross your mind ever? Not really, no. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, like, when I get those emails that are like, you won the Amazon gift card. And I'm like, oh, Lord. Don't want to click on that. Don't want to touch that. Right, but we think of it as just like a small-time scam where maybe they're going to steal your money or your identity. Turns out there's this is like a much bigger, deeper oh issue going on. Is this going to scare me? Am I going to not want to be on the internet anymore? I hope it does, actually. What most people don't understand is that cyber attacks are the modern days 9-11 in the making. They have the ability to cripple our country's critical infrastructure. There it is, one of my favorite two words, mm-hmm. two of my favorite words. 
with a click of a button from literally anywhere in the world. So you could have a guy in his basement or you could have Al-Qaeda in Pakistan. Great. Orchestrating this. Super. And they can shut down everything, which we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes here. So why don't we talk about it more? How do, why did we miss this? I missed it. And I bet other people after they listen to this will be asking the same question. Like, why is this not really mainstream? I'm wondering right? if it's just because they don't want to create a panic because I'm already kind of panicking. <clears throat> well, that's it. But also, I can tell you the circles I run in, like a lot of us just don't get it. Because like I said, it's always been what, reserved like the for the technical part. Yeah, like when I see anything cybersecurity related, I'm like, I I don't deal with cybersecurity. I don't get it. There's people for that. But I'm going to tell you why we should all be a little concerned and pay attention. Okay. So as a security professional, which I've talked about, I am before, I get bulletins and notices about cybersecurity and ransomware from Homeland Security, local government, FBI, pretty much every day lately. Um, But even me being a security guy, I rarely give them the time of day, just kind of read through them briefly, and I don't get it and put it in a folder. Right. Why do? I, why would I do that? You'd think I'd pay attention, right? I guess, but like you said, if I don't understand something, I'm like, all right, bye. Yes, and security kind of falls into two categories, physical and cyber. I am 1,000% a physical security guy. I deal with perimeter security, bollards, wedges, metal detectors, security officers, like your physical hardening of a target. I don't deal with anything with cyber not my not my so bag. do you have an apartment in your company that does that so that's a very good question no and a lot of companies don't have a cyber security department they have it it okay. will go around and help you plug in your keyboard if you screwed it up or if you got locked out of your email they'll f- fix your password that's what i was gonna say that's what i thought it was i like, would say very few I can't of, find the cd rule right i would say very few of even your normal it guy even knows about cyber security it's become this whole new thing that has its whole own field of study it's a department in homeland security it's becoming a big deal wow but what's interesting about this is these attacks have been around for a while which i'm going to tell you about now First, I'm just going to share with you why someone like me, a physical security person, and anyone who may be listening should care about cybersecurity, okay? It's very simple, and I'll keep it short so as to not bore you or the listeners. I can tell you're already bored. I'm not bored. How many listeners do you think that are uh, big-time security nerds like me? One? Two, maybe? I I don't know. (laughs) Probably not very many. So that's why I'm going to keep it short. There's one simple reason why physical security people should worry about cybersecurity, A simple virus sent through an unsuspecting email, which you just kind of commented on, can completely disrupt and disable just about every physical security measure your facility might have. I'm talking about your radios, your phones, your gates, your access control, metal detectors, all of it just completely shut down. Now you're vulnerable to an actual physical attack, which you've been trying to prevent. Okay, so like Barb in HR opens the prints from... Uganda who's trying to give her money. Yes. And it takes down the whole system? That link, if it is ransomware, and depending on how the virus was written, can disable all of your systems. Like lock it down. That's the point of it. I'm lost as how that would be possible. I, it's pretty smart stuff, right? Well, apparently. And it's pretty scary if you ask me. That's That's all I'm saying. I would think that it would only affect the whole thing if Barb like forwards it. But I guess not, right? No. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how ransomware works. All right, go ahead. Ransomware, by definition, is a type of malware from cryptovirology that threatens to either publish a person's personal data or perpetually block access to it and systems until a ransom is paid. Okay, that makes sense. The way they write the code or whatever, they can shut down your automated... I'll talk about this in a a little bit later in a story, but... Say you're a restaurant and you thrive on phone reservations. They can shut down your phone system based on the code. Now you can't take reservations. Now you get no customers. Now you make no money. That's a very small time example. Yeah. But that's what it can do. Think basically like a kidnapper is kidnapping your data until you meet their demands. So these hackers put a a dollar sign on there, a, a dollar amount, and they want payment. Once you pay them, they'll release the virus, antivirus software for you to restore your systems. And we're talking big money, big, big money. Some of them simply will lock down your system until your IT person can come and reverse it, um, you know, if they're knowledgeable and know how to do that. But the far more advanced malware, 
will encrypt the victim's files and make them inaccessible until the demand ransom is paid, sometimes even electronically. Like they have these systems set up where you make a Bitcoin payment, for example. Right. And it will automatically restore your system. <laughs> you don't even need someone to come in and do anything. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I mean, I, these people are super smart. Do you have your wire rim glasses on yet? Are no. you feeling pretty nerdy? They're in the shop. Well, don't bother. I think that's enough nerd talk for now. If you want to go through the history, there's literally pages and pages of different ransomware attacks that have happened. Are you ready for this? Since 1989. What? Right? I've never heard of it either until like literally a couple days ago. What? It really became mainstream with the stories I'm going to tell you about. The first known malware extortion attack was known as the AIDS Trojan. Ironic, right? Okay. Trojans are supposed to prevent AIDS, but... Well, a lot of viruses are, car- are, are called Trojans. Yes. Can you explain why, historically? Yeah. So it's the story of the Trojan horse, right? It's the, uh, yeah. who is it? Who were fighting? The, the Trojans Rome, and Romans, the, right? Was it? I don't know. I don't know but yeah. so the, the Trojans said, oh, we're done. We don't want to fight anymore. Here's this lovely gift from us to you. And a ginormous <laughs> horse, because that's what you do is build a wooden horse to give to your enemies. <laughs> So as the enemies brought it into the gates of their city, the Trojans were inside of it and they burst out and they were able to attack and take the city. Interesting. Interesting. I'm still confused why the condoms are called Trojans. Things literally busted out of it. Because Trojans are like powerful. Ah. Strong. Like they probably should have said like gladiator. Okay. All I can think of during your your story there was um, Eddie Izzard's rendition of the Trojan horse. (laughs) <laughs> I brought you a horse no worries anyway look that up everyone bye brought yeah. you a horse <laughs> <laughs> so the malware this AIDS Trojan was written by a Harvard educated evolutionary biologist named Dr. Joseph Pop oh in 1989 and it asked users to pay $189 to something called PC Cyborg Corporation 189 that's a weird number which of course didn't exist PC Cyborg Corporation's fake news Pop was a consultant for the WHO, WHO, not World the, Health Organization, not the, not the band, okay. in Kenya and organized a conference in the new global AIDS program in that very year. So he seems like a good guy, right? Well, he was eventually discovered by the British antivirus industry and was named on a new Scotland Yard arrest warrant. That's Ooh, big time. Bringing the Scotland Yard into it. Which Ooh. ultimately led to his arrest. Pop was acting extremely erratically during his arrest in Amsterdam and was declared mentally unfit to stand trial. So he was returned to the United States to sort things out with the rest of the loonies that live in this country. Mm-hmm. 1989, right? Insane. I didn't even realize computers were a big deal back then. I was only 10 years old, well, of course. But they were a big deal. Yes, True. Yeah. Nowadays, our 10-year-old can like code and make video games. Yeah. When I was 10, computers were not on the horizon at all. Nevertheless, computers certainly weren't as mainstream as they are now, yet people were already trying to, and successfully, as I just said, attack them. It's crazy to me. Okay, let's fast forward to 1996. Computers were definitely becoming more of a thing, but still nothing like we uh, live with today. Two guys by the name of Adam Young, that's Y-O-U-N-G, and Moti Young, Y-U-N-G. Weird. Strange coincidence. Yeah. They critiqued Pop's failed AIDS Trojan and its re- reliance on symmetric cryptography. What? Yeah. What the fuck is what I put in here? <laughs> I- I'm not even going to try to explain what the hell that means. Uh, I'm just going to steer clear of the rest of the nerd speak and um, from this research. If you want to look it up, like I said, there's pages and pages of it. Go check it out. To paraphrase, <clears throat> looks like they didn't like what he did. Correct. Okay. In simple terms, these two dudes developed an even more sophisticated method of attacking us through computer viruses, primarily by using electronic money, in quotes. Mm -hmm. This, of course, was long before cryptocurrency like my good pal Dogecoin and Bitcoin were even a thing. So they're way ahead of their time. Examples of extortionate ransomware became prominent in 2005. Now we're getting a little more current. And really hit their stride in 2006. That year, several Trojans made the rounds and wreaked havoc on systems and users. Things kind of quieted down in the years that followed, but not for long. In 2013, ransomware really took off with something called CryptoLocker, a system that used a newly discovered Bitcoin, like I mentioned before, platform to collect ransom money. 
in December of 2013. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. It was estimated that the operators of CryptoLocker procured about $27 million what? from infected users. And that was just from like a three-month time period. Okay. So I'm... Okay. That, I mean, that's a real number. That's a lot of money. This is getting pretty serious now, right? Well, I'm just confused because, you know, we know money laundering is a thing, right? Yeah. And you have to do it so that you don't draw attention to the fact that you have a crap ton of money. Yeah. How do these people just have $27 million that they get to use now and nobody is the wiser? Cryptocurrency. It's what is not that? real what money. What does that even mean? So like the Dogecoin stuff that I buy, it's not right. real money. It's not something you can hold in your hand. Okay. It's a fake currency that now, this is recent, but back then it was like used on the dark web and you could transfer it and sell it or whatever. Okay. Now you can sell it for real money, but it still doesn't exist. It's just floating out there in the ether somewhere. And okay. it's this fake money. So if you made millions back then on cryptocurrency, you could sell it to someone who maybe had knowledge of or the hope that cryptocurrency would get really big, which it is mm. now. You know what I'm saying? It's really strange. Yeah, I, but know, I guess. <laughs> I think that's how they got away with it because it wasn't real traceable money, especially in 2013. Since then, there have been several examples of ransomware affecting users and businesses alike. Like I've said many times, pages and pages of information on Wikipedia and other stuff. So check it out. All right, you want to talk about the recent attacks? These are what's really scary to me. Yeah. Did you hear about the Colonial Pipeline attack? The yes. gas shortage, people putting mm-hmm. gas in plastic bags? Yep. On May 7th, 2021, Colonial Pipeline, the American oil pipeline that originates in Houston, Texas, and carries gasoline and jet fuel primarily to the southeastern United States, so North Carolina, Florida, all that stuff suffered a ransomware attack that impacted computerized equipment that manages the pipeline's functions. So they basically shut down. As a result of the attack, gas prices soared. The company halted all of the pipeline's operations, which caused panic and a temporary gas shortage in multiple states until the systems could be restored. With the assistance of the FBI, Colonial paid the requested ransom to the hackers, which was, I'm glad you're sitting down, 75 Bitcoin, which doesn't sound like a lot, but one Bitcoin's worth, like right now, like 35 grand. So the total in real money was $4.4 million. They paid it? They paid it within a few hours of the attack. The hackers then sent Colonial a software application to restore their network, but it operated very slowly, which just prolonged the outage and the shortages. I, I mean, that's a terrorist attack. Why are we... I thought we don't negotiate with terrorists. Ha- right. And so now I'm thinking... But we saw the panic that ensued. People were losing their mind. Gas prices shot through the roof. You had to do something about it. That's what's so scary about these is our hands are kind of tied. Yeah, we rely so much on computers. That's how they were able to make $27 million, those guys. Because even if you're a private user, we rely on our computers every day. You can't live without it. So you'll pay $189 to get it turned back on. Hey, so here's my question. Let's say I open up one of these Trojan-y thingies. Yes. And my computer gets infected and hacked and I can't get into it. Mm-hmm. Couldn't I just go get a new computer and get my stuff from the cloud? I mean, yes, probably. I, I don't mean, like really I have everything that's important that. on Google. I think so. that they can affect like cloud services as well. I, I don't really know the specifics of it because I'm not a computer nerd. I don't think it actually infects your system hundred percent. Yes. With the cloud now, you probably could just do like an iPhone backup or something similar to that. Right. Um, I mean, I understand how like the pipeline people couldn't do that. They have like yeah, a whole a little facility. Different. There's no way you can just get a new facility. So, and they're impacting, I get that. but for me, like personally, you can hack my phone and you can hack right, my computer that's why and everything, but all my stuff is. That's why nowadays it's not really like a personal thing anymore. They're going after the big companies. ticket items. They're going after infrastructure and companies. The next one, just a few days later, or a few weeks later, <clears throat> JBS Meat Processing. On June 1st, 2021, all of JBS's beef plants in the U.S. were shuttered, as well as many of its pork and poultry plants, um, because they were hit by a cyber attack. JBS is the world's largest meat processor. I said the world there. That's a lot of meat. That's a lot of people. Huge impact, right? Company officials said the majority of its facilities would reopen the next day 
However, even one day's disruption in this industry causes a significant impact to wholesale beef prices. In a world that's already struggling financially due to the pandemic, this could be devastating to families trying to buy food. Because some places that had like carne asada on the menu were charging $4 extra per item. That's Hmm. a lot of money. That adds up around the world. Yeah. Right? Interesting. I wonder what it was about the meat plant. Well, it's the world's biggest. So it's processing all of the meat for every supermarket in the world. Right. I get it, but... I don't, okay, I, I'm just trying to figure out what processes they would have possibly needed. I don't, for. I don't know how it works, but obviously yeah. there's some sophisticated. I'm sorry, I'm just probably being supply chain. I, you don't believe stinky. me? No, I believe you. Think you. I'm making this up? No, I totally I'm believe not. you. I'm just like I feel like, like with the coronavirus, we were like, oh no, let's stop right now, and like freaked out quickly when we could have maybe just problem solved. I don't know. I, you can't with some of this stuff, yeah. whether it be you no, know. No, I, I the pipeline situation totally get. But I'm thinking like with the meat, could you not still continue processing and maybe just do it by hand for today? Not that, not on that scale. Don't they have For the world? People? You can't have butchers and they're just cutting away. Mm. They have machines for this stuff. Mm. There's no way. I actually have an interesting story from someone that we know here locally in town that works for a milk processing plant and he's in their IT department. And he was telling me a story this past weekend about how during the coronavirus and all these things, how interesting it is working for a food processing plant because of one virus, what it can do. Similar to this. And it's really scary because I, I those are the things that I don't think about. I never did think about. Mm-hmm. The FBI is still investigating this attack. However, security officials and JBS officials told the White House that the attack was a ransomware attack and that the ransom demand had come from a criminal organization likely based in Russia. President Biden said the U.S. has been in direct communication with Moscow and reportedly said we are going to pursue a measure to disrupt their ability to operate. He even did not rule out the possibility of a retaliatory cyber attack against the criminals responsible for this attack and the pipeline attack. What? We're we're like fighting cyber wars now? We're going to do a retaliatory attack? I can't say that word. Speaking of movies, cyber wars. It's a good one. I like right. it. Is it Star Wars themed? Nope. I guess, yeah. Computer games. And Star now Wars. they're just like sitting there fighting yeah. planets on their Yeah, a bunch of geeks. In their ships. Yes, I like it. All right, this one's local. You ready? Yes. The Massachusetts Steamship Authority had an attack. This is the largest ferry service to Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. They had an attack on June 2nd, 2021, just in time for the warm weather and summertime crowd that just got told we could take June our masks 2nd. off. That was just like a couple of weeks ago. Not even a week. So timely attack, right? This was obviously deliberate. Everyone's told they can go well, do yeah. things. They can Wasn't go travel again and take their masks off. It's hot. People go to Martha's Vineyard and the Cape and all those things for summertime and boom. This so happens. wasn't the pipeline situation right at spring break? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The attack severely hampered their operations as it's primarily affected online and phone reservation systems. As of this recording, the authority is still working through solutions to restore that system. So it doesn't seem like a big deal compared to the other two I said. These are just reservation systems, but it's forcing people to have to pay cash. If they need to change their reservation, they can't. If they need to cancel, they can't. It's affecting a lot of people because, like I said, literally thousands of people use this system or this ferry service to get to those islands. It's the only way you really can get to them. You can fly there, but that's difficult and expensive. Here's why all this matters and why we should all take notice of ransomware and cyber attacks. Cyber attacks and ransomware in particular have caught the attention of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. This isn't like your basement dwelling hacker wearing the sunglasses and the black hoodie like they show in movies, like in The Matrix. Mm -hmm. These are the world's leading terrorist organizations whose sole mission is to hurt America and Western societies. The examples I shared are just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the damage a cyber attack can do. Think of your drawbridges, water supply, trash systems, mass transit, shipping. The list goes on and on. We're talking about things that would significantly disrupt our way of life, like apocalyptic type things. Can you imagine if the whole water supply was just shut down for a long period of time? What could happen? Yeah. Maybe I'm being a little too dramatic, but the right magnitude cyber attack with the 
right funding and support from a major terrorist player could be absolutely devastating to the U.S., like 9-11 devastating or worse. It's time to start getting serious about these things, T. Stop disbelieving me over there. I'm not not believing you. You're trying I'm just, to be all conspiracy theory. And no, I see I'm, it on your face. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just like with the reservation thing. You can't just pick up a phone and write it down. No, their phone systems were screwed up. Like we can't problem solve. That's all. No, we can't because we become just, reliant on computers. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I know, but I their feel like. Their system can't go backwards. But I feel like if our computers shut down, like we could still live we're not gonna die yeah, but we are not a corporation we're not a, i know the i world's get it largest meat i get it all plant. right that's what right. you're I get it. you're failing to understand the scale here i think i just i think i'm just thinking like we obviously were able to do it before computers were here so why couldn't we ever go back to not having computers again? well we can but it takes that's a couple days to stand I, that not, up they i don't think it's conspiracy the, i think it's completely happening the computers have replaced the people so now you got to bring people in who know well, how to good. run There's the system tons of people who don't have jobs i get that but you can't do that <laughs> when we're talking <laughs> about processing the world's meat right. supply okay sorry you can't just do that overnight hey right. i'm sorry but that's part of the problem that i that i deal with in my world is people don't have business continuity plans they should because this is a real threat so they should have a backup plan but a lot of companies don't realize this could happen, including our critical infrastructure, our roads and everything else. We're screwed if this happens, like we saw with the pipeline. Right. Well, here's some tips that you and everyone else can do to help yourself personally and maybe the world from these attacks. Here's the number one. Stop answering the stupid questions and games on Facebook. What? Do you know what I'm talking about? N- like which ones in particular? The posts that say, like, what was your first car? And there's, like, a blank. And people put in there, oh, uh, Oh. this. What's one of the number one security questions if you forget your password? Okay. What was your first car? What's What's your maiden name? name, Where were you born? Well, these stupid things they keep putting on Facebook and Instagram are tricking you into putting that information. And somewhere there's a hacker who's getting that information from somewhere and using it to hack your own private systems. Mm. Don't answer those. Don't do them. Don't fall into the trap. These things are designed to have you hand the bad guys your personal information. Be careful with what you share on Facebook. Other than social media, be careful with what you do online, especially with your email. We mentioned that a couple times. The hackers are getting really good at disguising malware as a legit email. One click on a link in your work email could destroy your company's systems. Not a big deal if you work at the mom and pop store, like we've been saying, But it's a huge deal if you work for the electrical company in your town, for example. Mm -hmm. Right? So think about those things. Um, That's pretty much my story. Are you scared yet? Yeah. Well, this is John the security guy here telling you to get your shit together and look out for cyber attacks. I like it. All right. Well, if you want any more information on these cases, please make sure to follow us at How Did We Miss That on social media. Or maybe not. Maybe we should not have social media anymore. No, it's fine. But if it comes from us, make sure you follow. If it comes from how did we miss that, don't follow. Okay. You know what I mean? If there's like a weird comment in there, yeah. We're not going to ask for money, so don't give us money. No, we're not going to ask for money. Anyway. But do give us money because we could use it. Yeah. And we didn't ask for it, so. No, but if you have money to give, give us some money. All right. Well, until next week, keep your head up and look out for each other. 